You're listening to the Global Vision Bible Church podcast, where broken people find new meaning to life. You're about to hear a message straight from God's Word, because at Global Vision, we believe in three things, biblical preaching, radical compassion, and extravagant generosity. Hey, at the end of this episode, I'd like to ask you to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel because we believe God's word still challenges perspectives, encourages hearts, and changes lives. Now let's head under the tent in Mount Juliet, Tennessee for this week's message from Pastor Greg Locke. Amen. Hallelujah. Nothing can shake as you may be seated. Whoo! It's chilly morning, but hallelujah, it's going to be good. Amen. I'm glad the Word of God's anointed already, and uh, it can heat us up a little bit. And so I want you to go to the book of Acts and the fifth chapter for just a little while. Acts chapter number five today. I want to say thank you to our worship team. Thank you so much for being willing to get out here so super early and practice and get everything where it needs to be. Thank you so very, very much for leading us to the Lord. Acts chapter 5, I want to give you a few moments to get there, and I, I really, I'm not going to keep you a long time. I know preachers say that all the time, but it's cold, praise God. <laughs> but I, I do want to share a little something with you just by way of a personal testimony and just give you a chance to find the text. And again, like I say often, if you time preachers, don't start yet because this is not part of my, my message. You know, sometimes the Lord will ask you to do things that's super out of the box, you know, just some weird things. And uh, I've been reading the book of Ezekiel, and if you want to figure out if God ever asked you to do some weird things. You ought to read the first few chapters of the book of Ezekiel. He did some extraordinarily weird things. But you know, I, I've been uh, not, not struggling, but I've really been seeking the mind of the Lord about some things and about some directions for the ministry and all of that and what the Lord's doing. And just want to make sure that I'm in tune with, with his voice, not my voice, because a lot of times we can listen to the voices of others and people can talk us out of what the Holy Spirit has clearly talked us into. And so I've really been studying some stuff lately and just praying and, and seeking the Lord. And so the other day, just unusually enough, I just tossed and turning, and I woke up uh, Thursday, I guess it was, and I told my wife, I said, I, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but she's thought I was crazy before. I said, I'm going to get in the car, and I'm going to drive to Moravian Falls, North Carolina. We've, we've been there a couple of times to prayer mounting. It's an unbelievable place. I know it's just a place, and it's just a mountain, but you, you have 100 years of a Moravian prayer revival on top of a mountain, you can't help but bake some revival into a place, Right. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to leave today. And I said, I'm going to drive to Moravian Falls. I said, I believe the Lord wants me to go to Moravian Falls and just go to Prayer Mountain and sit and listen, read the word and pray. And I said, now I really know you're going to think I'm crazy. I said, because I got a sleeping bag and I'm going to stay the night. Moravian Falls, North Carolina, on top of a mountain in the winter. And uh, she said, oh, that's not crazy at all. She said, I'm going to go with you. I said, there's no planning, no, you know how ladies are, right? I mean, good grief. They got to have 47 suitcases to go to Walmart. And uh, I said, oh, okay. You know, so we worked it all out, the kiddos and all that, and threw the dog in the car. And sure enough, we drove on Thursday, six hours to Moravian Falls, North Carolina. I got there and we ate at a little restaurant. And it was already dark. We got there and we got up on top of the mountain. She said, I'm just going, I'm just going to bed down here in the back of the car. And you go ahead and get your sleeping bag and go do what God says. And uh, thank God for a supportive wife when you do ridiculous things, right? So sure enough, so I got out of the car and I, I'm telling you, I could not have got any clearer answers if God would have sat on this stage and grabbed a microphone and shouted in my face. I'm telling you, it was just unbelievable. So I, so I went up there and so I, I read for an hour and prayed for an hour and went back to the car and got my sleeping bag and I said, all right, I said, I'll, I'll come back when the Lord tells me and we'll leave in the morning. 
So I went and got out in the woods, you know, and they got this little terrace. And some of you have been there with me before when I preach in that area. And I, I got all snuggled up, you know, in my bunny bag. And so I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And I'm just looking up the stars. And we'd been there for, you know, a couple, three hours or whatever. It was dark. It was cold. And I just, everything I needed God explained. I mean, it just, it just popped right out of the Bible. I mean, it was just right. It was like, how in the world could I have chosen a text so gloriously made for that moment in my life? It was just, it was just a place I needed to go and just be quiet, just get away from the distractions and turn the phone off and just, just listen for the Lord. And so I was laying there and I was getting snuggled in good. Right about the time I got good and tired, I just, you know, felt heavy in my spirit. I felt like the Lord's like, okay, I just want to see if you do it. You can go home now. So sure enough, I got up, rolled up the sleeping bag, got back in the car, and she snoozed in the back and drove six hours all the way back home. Just because I knew God had something to teach me, right? I knew God had something to, to tell me. And sometimes we can get busy doing stuff that we don't need to be busy about. And so I just woke up that day and I said, I'm going. I'm going to North Carolina. I got to pray. I got to read. I got to get away from everybody and everything. And we did. And I'm telling you, God downloaded some stuff in me that has been, it's not what I'm preaching on today, but it has been beautiful and I'm telling you, I just, I just want you to know that sometimes you just need to come apart lest you come apart. Sometimes you just got to turn everything off and get away and just meet with the Lord. I don't, care, I don't care where that is. Okay, that could be in your bathroom. Calgon, take you away. I don't care where it is. But some of you going into this year, coming out of a fall down the steps year, you need to learn to practice the presence of God to guard your time with the Lord. It's so get in the Word. Learn about fasting and praying this year like never before. It's not about just showing up in a parking lot. Anybody can do that. All right? You want God to show up on your behalf when you spend time intimately in his presence. And so I just, as your pastor, wanted to share with you that, you know, sometimes I've got to get away as well and let God download some things into me. And God will ask you to do some unusual stuff. And if you're not willing to do the unusual stuff, don't expect God to talk to you in a big way. God talked to me in those two hours more powerfully than the entire year that we just walked through the whole, in two hours on a mountain, six hours from here in a sleeping bag, okay? People say, you're crazy. Yes, yes, yes. But I believe God's gonna bless more than we could ever imagine because sometimes you just have to be willing to step out of the box and do what the Lord says. And God's given me some real clarity on some issues that we have coming up that I think he's going to bless in just a marvelous way. So all that to say it's preaching time, okay? Stand with me, please, out of reverence for God's word. Acts chapter five. I want to read a very familiar text and then just talk through it for a few moments and uh, I'll have you on your way. We do have the baptistry heated if we have some of our, uh, our converts that are going to be following the Lord in believer's baptism today. Praise the Lord. Acts 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God." And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. I bet it did. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. 
And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear, say fear. fear. Great fear came upon all of the church and upon as many as heard these things. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus that you would fill me to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the anointed word. I pray that it would indeed flow upon us like a mighty flood. Wash us, cleanse us, revive us, move us in this place today. Lord, I know it's cold, I know it's windy, I know it's distracting, but we are not here by accident. We have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, you have allowed everything to transpire to this moment in history so that we can be in this place to hear from God, not Greg. And so I pray that you would remove distractions, settle our hearts, settle our minds, stir our hearts and our imagination for what could be if we would truly surrender every part of our life to the will of God. So move in this parking lot, move online. We love you. Keep us warm so we can stay focused in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, you know, sometimes you can read something in the Bible and think to yourself, why would God be so vicious? Why would God allow these people to literally drop dead in the midst of a packed out church service? Why would this transpire? But you must understand historically what's been happening. In Acts chapter 1, you have the prediction of the promise of God that ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And can I say that power has not diminished one bit? 2,000 years later, we still have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel and the power of the Word of God and the power of the local church. And we should not forsake the power of God. Can I get a witness? And so he promises that it's going to come when the power of the Holy Spirit falls. Jesus said, when I go to my Father, the Holy Spirit shall come, and greater work shall ye do than I have done. And so it began to take place in chapter 2. You see that Joel was being fulfilled. He said, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And let me say, when he began to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, that was the beginning of a great revival that is still transpiring to this day because the end times began that very moment and we are in the end of the end and God still pouring out his spirit upon all flesh today because of the gospel. And so you have all of these thousands of people being saved thousands of converts being baptized. They continue in the word. The giving revival, the generosity spirit was unbelievable on any level that we could never even imagine. They were selling their possessions and goods, giving to all men as every man had a need. There was unity. They were in one accord. It says it four times just in the first few chapters. It was an unbelievable move of the power of God. And then chapter five happens. You see, at the end of chapter 4, the Bible says they were selling their land, they were selling their houses, they were selling their possessions, they were giving to the needs of those in the local church community. Because can I say, there is a welfare program in the Bible, but it's not the government taking care of lazy people, it's God's people taking care of God's people. That's the way the Bible set it up. And so they were blessing each other and honoring each other. There was unity, there was cohesion, they were stuck together. And all of a sudden... 
at the end of chapter four, there's a guy by the name of Barnabas, the son of consolation. He got a lot of acclaim, if you will. He didn't do it for that reason. But he got a lot of acclaim. He got some applause. Hip, hip, hooray to this man that sold his land and gave it to the needs of the local church community. Well, these people saw that. And when they saw that, to them, it was an opportunity of a bad motivation to give for the wrong reason. They wanted to be seen of men. They wanted people to know what they were giving. They wanted to give in such a way that they got the glory and they were robbing God of his glory. And you know why God allowed them to die in the midst of a church service? I mean, I'm here to tell you, I'm glad the Lord doesn't necessarily operate that way these days. We'd have a lot of dead folks would be preaching to in these churches, right? And so why is it that God killed them on the spot? I'm going to tell you why. This was the very first time that disunity and disharmony had crept into the newly known body of Christ. The church was so new that people were still calling it the way and that way because they didn't know what to call it. It was so new. And the unity was so thick and the revival was so magnanimous and the miracles and the signs and the wonders were so beautiful that when all of a sudden the enemy crept in through division, through stinginess, through a self-righteous motivation, God immediately shut it down on the spot and said, this is what I think about disunity in my body. Now, if God killed people for disunity in the body today, I'm here to tell you the churches would be barren because it seems like everybody has a self-righteous motivation for why they, serve. they come to church to be seen of men. They give to be seen of men. They do things to be seen of men. Where are the servants of God that say we do not care who sees us as long as God gets the honor and as long as God gets the glory? Those are the people that change the world with the gospel. Who cares who gets the credit at the end of the day? It's not about Greg Locke. It's about Jesus Christ. And these people said, you know what? This guy got a lot of acclaim. He got his name on a plaque. So let's give with the hopes that the church will think we are grand and glorious. So they cooked up this plan. We just read it. And so we'll go down through it a little bit verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and explain to ourselves what it does and what it does not mean. But notice in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, let me explain something to you. It was their land. It was their possession. They could have sold it for what they wanted to, and they could have given what they wanted to or kept what they wanted to. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they gave part of it, but they pretended to everyone else so they could look good that they gave all of it, when in actuality, they did not. And so they cooked up this plan. They concocted this idea that we are doing this not with the motivation to make sure God's honored and worshiped and praised and the people's needs are met and the accentuation of the revival and the local church continues. Oh, no. It was with the express purpose is we want to be seen. Now, time out on the Jake breaks. Let me say this. The quickest way to shut down a move of God is for you to want to be seen by everybody else. It's not about us. 
People ask me all the time, what is God doing at Global Vision? What's the magic sauce? There is no magic sauce. We preach the Bible and we give God all the glory because the moment we take credit for what God's doing is the moment he gives it to the church down the road. It's not about our music. It's not about my preaching. It's not about a tent. It's not about an outdoor service. It's about none of the the lights and the show. It is about the glory of God. And you find a people that will give God all the glory and he will pour out his presence in their midst. But there'll always be those people when God's moving that want to sow dissension. They want to slip in unawares and cause problems. Now, I know we've become a very polarizing, controversial community of believers because we've actually asked people to get up and leave. Because sometimes the most spiritual thing you can show somebody in church is the back door. And we got a big one. Praise God, we got a massive back door. Because one of the things we're not going to tolerate are stingy people and greedy people and individuals that don't want the glory of God. People that just want to show up and be seen. I don't care what your outfit looks like. I want to know it's the glory of God upon you. I don't care what kind of car you drive in this parking lot. It's obvious we don't care what kind of building we have. I want to know it's the glory of God rising among his people. That's what I want to know. I want to know, are people being saved? Are converts being baptized? Are homes being put back together? Are crack pipes being laid down? Are people being called to the ministry? Are lives being changed? That's what I want to see. But the problem is, when those things start happening, the enemy starts sowing problematic individuals into the congregation. Now, I think it's a good thing that we ended the year the way we did, because I think we weeded out a whole lot of them, praise be unto the Lord. Because around here, you can't stick around a very, very long time and fake it till you make it. You can't come to Global Vision with a Jimmy Carter smile because somebody will see right through your nonsense, right? And so I believe we are poised for the greatest move of God that we've ever experienced. But I want to, in a hesitatingly way, say to you, don't allow your pride, your arrogance, and your self-righteousness to make us think that God's doing this because we're such great, wonderful people. God does what he wants to because he's God. God wants glory. He deserves honor and praise and worship. And so I just want to say, as we get into the text, let's not cook up and concoct some nonsensical plan in our mind to make us think that God's doing this because we're deserving. We are the most undeserving people on the planet, but to God be the glory, great things he hath done. I know who gets the credit for what God's doing in this parking lot. I know who gets the credit for the ability to be able to financially give all of the money away that we're able to bless people with. I know where it comes from. It comes from God. People say, well, if I had a big online platform like that, oh no, it's not about Facebook. If you think Facebook did this, you are not paying attention. It's the glory of God rising amongst his people. It's the remnant church all over this nation, all around the world that's sick of the tyrannical nonsense. They've had a gut full of tyranny. They've had a gut full of a lukewarm Jezebel-filled church, and they're ready to rise up and say, enough is enough. Let's take this world back with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they're ready for. They're poised for that, and I believe the church is poised for revival. But we're going to be careful not to miss it because it didn't show up the way we thought it was going to show up. Revival didn't come out of a Wednesday night prayer meeting like we thought. It came through the back door persecution. And we need to say at this moment, let's be careful to protect the presence of God, what he's doing in our midst, what he's doing around the world. Because I'm here to tell you, I get the privilege of preaching all over this planet and God is doing his work in many, many places. Don't let the news media tell you otherwise. And so they said, look, we want to take credit for what's happening, and so they concocted this plan. Watch what happens in verse two. This is beautiful. I I won't take as long on every verse as I did that one, praise God. 
And they kept back part of the price. Now, I want you to notate that in your Bible. I want you to mark that in your Bible if you're able. And they kept back part of the price. The issue was not, the issue was not that it wasn't theirs. The issue is there was an area of their life that they completely decided would be unsurrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And they kept back a piece. And I'm going to tell you where the church is in the day and age in which we live. We have people that come to church, raise their hands, worship God, know all the words on all the songs from the screens, and know the Bible, and enjoy somewhat the Bible. And they come to church, but in their heart, they've kept some things in an area of their life that's off limits to the Lordship of Christ. Now, I don't care what kind of year you've been planning on having in 2022. You, you can forget all of these New Year's resolutions nonsense. I know right now Planet Fitness is packed. You give it two weeks, it'll be hollow as a gourd. Everybody makes their New Year's resolution. I think what we need is some New Year's repentance is what we need, right? Okay, I'm not worried about, oh, well, I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to quit smoking, or I'm going to do better, or I'm going to read my Bible. And we got all these New Year's resolutions. So I know some of you got some plans. But let me tell you what the biggest plan is you better have. You better make sure you have no plans to keep any area of your life from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You better surrender anything, everything, every person, every relationship, every dime, every dollar, every opportunity, every job, every door. Everything you have should be given, not kept back. Because the problem is we come to church, but we go home and we hold things from God. And we keep things from the Lord. And there's areas of our marriage that we won't give. There's areas of our children that we won't give. There's financial areas. There's health areas. There's job areas. And there's things that we won't give to God. So let me very plainly and lovingly as your pastor say, whatever you won't give to God has become your God. Whatever you will not surrender to Jesus has in essence become your Jesus. And thou shalt have no other gods before me, the Bible says. And Americans are filled with sophisticated idol worship. We are filled with idol worship because there's areas of our heart and our mind that we will not fully surrender. And the problem in the text was that they kept back part. Two verses later, he'll say the same thing. Why have you kept back part? You had the power to give it all, but you decided just to give a little bit of it. And that's where we are. We want to come to God in what I call piecemeal. Little piece here, little piece there, little piece here, little piece there. The Bible to us is almost like a buffet. We get to pick and choose what we want. Oh, no, it's not a buffet. You take what God puts on the plate. And so often, we have all these grand ideas. We're going to live for God. It's going to be the greatest year. We keep hearing that, right? This is going to be the best year. This is going to be the breakthrough year. This is going to be the miracle year. This is going to be the signs and wonders. This is going to be the year that nothing's going to happen if you keep holding on to the same nonsense you've been holding on to for the last 10 years. You have got to be willing to give every area of your life to Jesus Christ. Not just some of them. Not the parts that make you feel comfortable and better about yourself. All of it. And the problem is we sit around and we conspire with ourselves of how we can hold this area and how we can hold that area. And the very thing that you keep from God will be the very thing that keeps you from being blessed by God. And that's the gospel truth. You know, I read some time ago a story, whether it's true or not, I have no idea, but it makes a great application for where I'm at. And so my mind, so I'm going to share it with you. This little Spanish couple decided that they were going to buy this little tiny home that was just in this little village of a neighborhood. And it was the nicest home. And I mean, they were going to be the cat's meow. And so they found this gentleman and 
He was selling the home, and he said, you know, I'm going to give you an unbelievable steal of a deal on this little house. If you will give me $10,000 cash, you can have the house. Who wouldn't take him up on such a bargain? So sure enough, they got all of their money together. They gave him $10,000 cash, and as they were getting ready to sign on the dotted line, he pulled out all the paperwork. He said, here's the only stipulation to buying this house for such a good deal. He said, I want to show you something on the front porch. And he took them out and he opened up the screen door and he went out on the front porch and he said, I want you to look above the door. And they looked above the door and there was just a small little nail, just a little iron peg coming out of the top of the door. He said, I'll sell you this house right now, lock, stock, and barrel, the whole deal, 10,000 cash, as long as you allow me to only own the peg on the top of the door. That's it. All I want to own is this sentimental nail sticking out of the top. Well, who wouldn't take him up on such a thing? So sure enough, they signed the dotted line, gave him $10,000. A week went by, a month went by, a year went by, two years, three years, five years, seven years. Man, I'm telling you, things were great. They had renovated the house. Everybody in town thought they were something else. They had the nicest little house in that little village. People admired them. Boy, by this time, they had a couple of children. Flowers planted out front, beautiful little sidewalk. Everything was just right. And after all of that time, one evening they sat down for a meal. And the same Spanish gentleman that had sold them that house seven years earlier came and he is tapping at the door. They walked out, oh, sir, how are you? Good to see you. Thank you. Come on in. Treated him like family, set him down to a meal. They talked and chewed it up for a while, had a great time. And finally, at the end of the conversation, the man Pulled out a briefcase. It was full of money and a contract. He said, let me tell you something. I will give you $30,000 cash. You will more, more than double. You will triple your money. I'll give you $30,000 cash right now if I can have the house back. I said, sir, we, we don't mean you any disrespect, but we love this house. We've raised our kids here. Our, our family and our friends think this is the greatest house in the whole little village. Why, why would we ever give the house back? You, you could offer us 100000 but there's no way we're not trying to disrespect you and your integrity. But, sir, we, we just couldn't do that. We got it for a great deal, and we love this home, and we've invested so much time and energy and money into the house. He said, I thought you'd feel that way. He put the money up. But he opened to a certain part of the contract. And he said, I, I want to remind you of one thing in this contract. He took him down to such and such a line item. And right there, it said plainly that the little iron peg, the nail on top of the door still belonged to him. They never thought a thing about that. Who would? Such a small, minor detail. And so he said, I want to remind you that that peg above the door belongs to me. It cannot be removed. It cannot be touched. It belongs to me. They'd seen that pig a thousand times, never even thought the first thing about it. So he closes his briefcase, he leaves. About 15 minutes later, they notice that the neighbors are getting stirred. People are now standing outside the yard and people are on the other side of the driveway. And here comes this Spanish gentleman down the road dragging the carcass of a dead, rotten, filthy, dog that he had pulled out of a ditch. And he drug that rotten carcass of that smelly, stinking dog all the way down that sidewalk, up the steps, picked it up in his hands and hung it on the peg over the front door. 
and said, I remind you as per line item, such and such in the contract, the peg belongs to me. Don't touch the dog. After an hour, the stench was unbelievable. After the first night, they're thinking to themselves, what can we do? People are going to laugh at us. We're going to be the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Stunk so bad they wanted to vomit. You can imagine that death stench and that, that revolting smell and now got into the couch and to the furniture and the kids were crying. Stunk to high heaven as you can imagine. And you know, I read that and I thought, be it true or be it not, that's where we live in the church world. We've sold every area of our life to God but one little peg over the door that we hold on to. We read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, but we left one little nail. We pray, we fast, we give, we shout, we sing, we worship, we raise our hands and come to church in the cold. But there's one little nail. And no matter how much you go to church, no matter how much you read the Bible, no matter how, how many now will lay me down to sleep you give to God. You know what happens? Eventually, the enemy comes with a filthy, dirty, vile carcass. Stinks up your testimony, stinks up your house, stinks up your marriage, stinks up all the things you've been trying to do. Pretty soon the heavens are brass and you can't even get your prayers above the ceiling. Even if you're praying outdoors, you read the Bible and it's black words on white paper. And everything you've worked for can be ruined. Because of one tiny little peg in your life that you refuse to give to God. The one area that the enemy still owns. You know what's interesting? As a preacher, DR, you know this. You can always tell when you're hunting in the right hole, right? Because our people are like happy, clappy. Woo! They like to jump around even when it's cold, right? Right now, y'all tied on a tick. You know why? Because you've got some pegs in your life you've not surrendered to God yet. No matter how much you love my preaching, no matter how much you come to church, you've got a peg you've not given over. And the devil's hung a carcass over it. And it's ruined your testimony. And it's ruined your prayer time. And it's ruined the Bible. And you come to worship and you try to sing to the Lord. But in the back of your mind, you know there's one area you've not given yet. And you've got all these resolutions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You've been saying that for 10 years and you're still in bondage. You're going to have to fully surrender. They kept back part of the price. You see, every bucket sits on its own bottom. God's not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to force you to love him. You do it by will or you, do, uh, you don't do it at all. And they said, you know what? We want to look good to everybody, so we're going to pretend that we're fully surrendered. But in our hearts, we're going to know the truth. Let me tell you something. God revealed the truth. And God will reveal the areas of your life and mine whereby we have not yet fully surrendered every area of our life to God. Eventually, it'll start stinking on you. So watch what happens. The Bible says they've conspired together. They held back part of the price. His wife was privy to it. He bought a certain part, verse number two, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart? Notice the influence of the devil in the life of a believer. Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. 
and to keep back part of the price of the land. You could have given all of it. You told us you did, but you just want to look good for the cameras. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? And watch this horrible tiding, but it's so true. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Let me tell you something. You are hurting no one but yourself. You can lie to me, oh, you jolly well please. You can lie to your spouse. You can hide your sin. You can hide whatever you want to, but you can't hide it from God. You just can't. Numbers 32, 23, be sure, be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. The phrase literally means it will discover itself upon you. You can hide what you want to. Achan hid the silver and the gold and the Babylonian garment, but it got unearthed. Your sin will always be discovered. God says in the book of Hosea, I will raise your skirts and show the nations your nakedness. You see, individually, collectively, or even as a nation, you cannot hide sin from God. It'll be exposed every time. Every time. And so maybe as we exit one year and enter the new one, the best thing we can hear today is that if we are going to see God continue to move, we're going to have to be more fully surrendered than we've ever been. Because I think the problem is we have all of these areas of our life that we want to surrender, but there's some that we refuse to surrender, and we hold, and we hold, and we hold, and we hold on to those areas. And the interesting thing is I don't even have to grab a microphone on a chilly Sunday and tell you what they are. You already know. You know exactly what God's been dialing your number about. You know exactly what sin you have in your life. You know exactly what areas of rebellion. You know exactly without me saying a word. Right now, it's almost like the Holy Ghost is painting a picture in your mind. And you're like, move on, move on, move on. Oh, no. You see, nobody can convict you like the Holy Spirit can convict you. We can rant and rave and kick and holler and throw rocks at you. But you know, and God knows, what part you've kept back from him. Now, I'm well aware of the fact, contextually, that this is a financial resource story. This is a story about thievery from the Holy Spirit. I get it. But it doesn't change the reality that all of us in this room and online have lived in this very same space. Some of you have lived there for a very, very long time and you are praying for God to bless you and he will do no such thing until you remove the thing in your life that is keeping the curse of God upon you. I told somebody the other day, why would God bless your life when he cannot even trust you with what you already have? Why would you say, God, increase my capacity? Bless me more. Give me your anointing. Give me your... Why would God do that when he knows it's going to be nothing but a wasted prospect? Because if you cannot be a good steward of every area of your life, do not expect God to take you to the next level. No matter how much New Year's preaching you hear, next level, next level, you are not going to the next level until you surrender fully at the level you're at right now. That's it. And they kept back part of the price. He rebuked them two times over the exact same thing, two times. But then notice what happens. Verse 5, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, and he gave up the ghost. 
dropped dead right there in church. Great fear came on all them that heard these things. I bet it did. Everybody's like, oh my goodness. Everybody started searching their hearts. Sometimes God will expose people so everybody else will start searching their hearts. And so everybody in the room got filled with fear. Verse 6, and the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. This is, this is during church. During church. The ushers take him out, bury him while they're still preaching. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. So I find that interesting. You see, it took her three hours longer to get ready for a church service than it did her husband. Somebody say amen right there. Ain't that the truth? Not much has changed. <laughs> three hours later, this chick shows up. Got all of her Max Factor eyelashes batting and going. Got her hair all curled. She's all good. She didn't know what happened with her husband. So they had this whole thing figured out. Look, you go. You tell them this. I'll come in a few hours later and act like I'm aloof to the whole situation and I'll tell them the exact same thing and it'll all be good in the hood. Not even knowing her husband was dead. Dead. During the message was dead. And so they come walking in. She's three hours late. Verse 8. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yay, for so much. Now, in this day and age, he would have got sued for entrapment, right? She'd have got an attorney and sued him for entrapment because he already knew the answer to the question he was asking. Did, did you sell it for so much? Oh, yes, Pastor Peter. We sold it for so much. He's trying to look all good. And everybody in the room is like, Oh, don't say it, don't say it. You, you can imagine the tension that was in the air, couldn't you? They're like, this cat just dropped dead for lying to God in church. And he's asking the same question, and everybody in the crowd is like, don't do it. You can imagine, you can imagine the embarrassment that settled in, right? You ever heard somebody sing a special song in church that didn't turn out so special? And it made you cringe. And you're like sitting out there embarrassed for them. And I'm like, why am I embarrassed? They're the one making a fool out of themselves. Well, these people were cringing in church. They're like, oh, don't do it, Sapphira. You know they want to jump up and stop her. Nope. She said, oh, yeah. This, this is what we decided on, Pastor. Yes, this is what we've done. We, we sold it for this, and this is what we gave. Verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the fear of them, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. That's being slain in the spirit right there, neighbor. There's no doubt about it. God killed them in church. Killed them. He said, you see them feet? Them boys buried your husband. Now you're going to drop dead and they're going to bury you. That's a word right there. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead, <laughs> and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. But look at the end of the story. Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, we're not going to, for time's sake, continue in the narrative. You know what happens next? The greatest miracles, the greatest healings, the greatest signs, the greatest wonders, the greatest number of salvations and baptisms that the church had ever seen broke loose on the horizon. The preacher started going to prison. 
they started saying things like this. We ought to obey God rather than man. Angels of God were being dispatched to get them out of prison. Read what the Bible said. It says that all of a sudden, the office of the, the apostles and the disciples began to be magnified in the eyes of the people. And even priests were getting saved and being obedient to the faith. And their numbers were growing so exponentially, they couldn't even keep up with it. They went from adding to the church to multiplying in the church. God said, I'm going to add to the church, add to the church. And then he stopped adding and he started every time from that moment forth. There's no more addition in the book of Acts. It's multiplication. It's bigger and bigger and exponential and bigger and bigger and greater and more mighty and more miracles and more signs and more wonders. Because there had to come a time publicly and privately and the poor private decision led to their public death. But there had to come a moment in the text when something was dealt with that removed the disunity and the disharmony that allowed the power of the Spirit of God to continue to flow in unbelievable ways. So look, I know I'm preaching to a lot of people out there online, but let me, let me, let me talk to the, to the nestled up cold sheep this morning. We'll get that tent back up, so don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. We'll get some heat. We'll appreciate it more when we get in it. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will have a tendency to get in the way of the momentum of what the Lord's doing in our midst. It's easy. I'm just... Look, I'm not trying to preach all bombastic and, and Greg Locke and shock Locke. I'm just, I'm just trying to dial things back on purpose, get my personality off the platform and just share with you from my heart. We got to protect what God's doing or we're going to lose it. We got to be careful. It's not about us. People all the time say, oh my goodness, all y'all do is get up and just, just brag about how much money. Look, we ain't bragging on anybody but Jesus. Look, I can remember pulling up in that building down there in a broke-down minivan, slumping my head in my hands over the steering column and couldn't get out of the car and wept for 30 minutes before church started. Am I lying? Because I didn't think 50 people were going to show up. Man, people were leaving our church Media was crazy. We were fighting hell by the acre. Some of you stuck it out, you know. And I thought, Lord, what are we going to do? Is this ever going to turn around? Is God ever going to show up? Is the promise of revival ever going to be fulfilled? And I'll be honest, I thought, absolutely not. It's run, it's done, it's gone. There's no way we recover from this. There's no way. But a very wise preacher told me one day, just keep showing up, son. Just keep showing up. So I kept showing up. We kept preaching. Kept praying. Kept believing. I kept trying to find every area of my life that was unsurrendered. And I'd give it over. I'd go to that tree. God said, what about this? You can have it. I'd start throwing stuff at God. You can have it. You can have it. You can have it. And let's be honest. There's some things we would give God right now, right? But there's some things that have taken more residency in your heart that would take longer for God to pry them out of your hand. Here's what Paul said. I suffered the loss of all things. He didn't just give them up. He suffered the loss of some things. 
And serving Jesus Christ and building the kingdom won't cost you something. It'll cost you everything. And I thought to myself, there's no way we recover from this. And God just began to bless. And we began to fill up that little building. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of growth and, and building back and restoration and God moving and God working, the whole world shut down. After a tornado here, by the way. Okay, two tornadoes, two years apart. And God has taught our church unbelievable lessons both times in a tornado. Remember, he caught up Job in the whirlwind. He's been teaching some stuff with the whirlwind around here. He can teach us another way. Next time, I'll be all right, but nonetheless. But then the whole world shut down. And everybody in the church came and said, what are we going to do? I said, well, we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing, I guess. God's blessing. The, the, the building's full to overflowing, and so let's just see what happens. And it's interesting to me that all this time later, Everything God's done in the last two years started in a parking lot. Do you know that? Started in a parking lot without a tent. I was against the whole tent deal. I was just going to preach in DRs and be happy and not even have one ourselves. I didn't care nothing about no tents. I thought, there's no way in the world I'm going to put a tent up. I mean, we stayed outside in the parking lot for weeks. I preached right, right about there in a the bubble truck. 500 cars pulled in the parking lot, and I thought, this is pretty high-tech redneck, but it's legit. People keep coming. It's crazy. News media came out here with drones flying everywhere. They're not even wearing masks. They're not social distancing. It's been two years, and we still ain't wearing them stupid things, and we still ain't social distancing. I'm just going to go ahead and state that right now. But anyhow, I had to get that part out of my, out of my heart. So people just kept coming, kept coming. So then I'm on a picnic table over here on the A-frame. You talk about righteous redneck. I'm on a picnic table. It's Easter. It's pouring down rain. Pouring down rain on Easter. And everybody's like out of their cars. News media's freaking out. They're out of their cars. I wasn't preaching to the cars. And I mean, everybody's like worshiping. They're on their knees. It's pouring down. I'm on a picnic table with a handheld microphone and an umbrella. Preaching in the pouring down rain for 45 minutes. And that was the day that people started getting saved and baptized left and right. And I'm telling you, I've I, I never seen anything like it. And so we went to the restaurant. My wife looked at me, big old hot scalding tears. She said, oh, my goodness. We've got the heart of the people like never before. God's about to do something. And I said, okay, I believe it. I believe it. And then it got bigger and it got bigger. And the tent went up and the next tent, the next tent, and the next tent, and then this tent. And then God blew down the tent. <laughs> and now we're two years full circle back in a parking lot. <laughs> back in a parking lot. I can't explain that. It wasn't my design. I was gone both times the tornado showed up. I'm going to stay home. Something gets blown over every time I go out of town to preach. But here we are. Almost right back where we started. Just a whole lot better off than when we started. And somehow or another, God saw fit to take a little tiny group of hungry people in a little building that won't even seat 300 people and turn a camera on and give us the eye and the ear of the world and take what we called 15 years ago global vision and give us an actual global vision and a global fulfillment. 
And no matter how many people are out of town, no matter how many people are sick, and no matter how many people drive or don't drive, the unbelievable amount of people that are able to watch right this very moment is humbling and blows my mind every second of the day when I think about it. From a cold, hazy, rainy parking lot. And we ain't even paving ours. We're giving money away to pave other people's. Who does that, right? The Lord does it. The Lord does it. So a little different of a way to go about it and start the new year and close out a message. I just want us to be careful that we protect what the Lord's doing. We, we can't just expect it. Now, I'm here for anticipation. I get it. But God's not doing this because of me. God's not allowing us to bless the people that we're blessing because of you and because of us. It's because of him. And so I just want to encourage you. There's a lot here, man. We could preach for a long time. I know you're cold. I know you're hungry. I'm both, right? But I'll tell you something. We have got to get to a place where we surrender all of it to him. Some of you are here today because God drew you to this place and you didn't even know what I was going to preach on. So you could hear this word for your spirit right now. Stop holding back part of it. You know why we got this little green area up here? Because every week people keep coming up here and kneeling in this, in this gravel. And it doesn't even bother them. We've made it easier for you to kneel today. We've made it easier for some of you to get right with God. To repent and come and say, God, I'm going to give you all of it. I'm going to give you all of it. And some of you need to quit holding back part. And give it all to him. Quit holding on to stuff that you know is going to hurt you and hamper your marriage. It's going to hold you back. It's not going to be a thing that propels you. I don't care how many times you go to Planet Fitness. I don't care how many New Year's resolutions. You're going to have to surrender today. You're going to have to give up that habit, that addiction, that relationship, that area of your life that you know is keeping you back. Keeping you back. You're, you're wanting to go full throttle, but you've been governed by your unbelief. You've been governed by something that you're holding back in your life. And I say today, as Peter did to Ananias, why in the world are you allowing the enemy to lie to you and keeping things back from God? You want a blessed breakthrough year? This is how you get it. You get right with God first Sunday of the year. You surrender today, not next week, not next year. Not because you made a New Year's resolution. Nonsense. You surrender the Lordship of Christ now. Your finances, your home, your life, your health, your job, or the lack thereof. Everything you have and everything you don't and everything you want to have needs to be laid down, surrendered completely. Nothing in my hand I bring but simply to thy cross I cling. And I'm telling you today, some of you, are going to have to do what some have decided already to do and come and get on your face and say, God, enough's enough. I'm giving every peg, 
every ounce, every bit, everything in my life will be fully surrendered. And every day that goes by and you reveal to me something new that needs to be surrendered, I will do it every day. We must be filled to overflowing with the wisdom, the knowledge, and the power of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which by the way, the results of the filling of the Spirit and the results of the filling of the Word of God in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 are the exact same results. And some of you have been ignorant of the Bible because you've not been in the Word of God. And it's time to fall on your face and say, God, enough's enough. I'm going to fill my home with the Word of God. I'm going to fill my life with the Word of God. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, God, I give you every area that I have held back. Every area. I want you to bow all over this parking lot if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Look, some have already begun to come. I'm going to ask you, sir, I'm going to ask you, ma'am, I don't care if you've been here a thousand times or you be bopped into the parking lot for the first time. It's time for you to respond right now. It's time for you to leave your seat right now and you come and you say, God, I'm going to stand, lift my hands, I'm going to lay prostrate, I'm going to get on my knees, I'm going to do whatever. I got to give in. I got to give up. I got to surrender this. I got to do it now, not next week. You better strike while the iron's hot, as the old timers say. Revival's not then, revival's now, revival's here now. And we got to surrender. Maybe some of the things that you need to surrender are not necessarily rebellion or sin, but you've kept some things back and you've not fully given over to the Lordship of the Lord. Come on right now, give it to Him. It's time to get serious about the things of God. 2020 and 2021 taught us there's a lot of people that have been playing religious games in church, but 2022 is going to teach us who is going to be serious for the glory, who's going to be hungry for the holiness, who's going to practice the presence of God. Come on. Come on all over this place. Slip out. You folks watching online, you get right with God right now where you're at. Come on. Tears are language. The Lord understands. I hear you up here. You cry out to the Lord. We're going to protect at all costs what the Lord's doing in our midst. Let's not get in the way. Wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Come on, folks, still coming. Folks, still moving. I want to ask you a question before my wife prays us out here in a moment. If you are here, by the way, for our baptismal celebrations, and we do have it ready, and it is warm. Miss Billy wasn't feeling well. She's not able to be here today, but we got some other volunteers. If you're here today for that, then just go ahead and slip right around over here. And you'll see some folks up there that are readying themselves and readying the water. And, and you come and you get ready yourself. You're, if you're here and you've trusted the Lord, and I know many of you have, and so many people drive here just, just to be baptized and to make their salvation be known to others publicly, what the Lord's done in their life privately, you slip over here right now. But I want to ask you this question all over this parking lot. Let me ask you this. Even maybe perhaps if you're down here, would there be somebody out there right now and you would say, Pastor Locke, I'm going to be honest with you. The one area of my life I've not yet surrendered is my life. I've never truly been saved. There's never been a time in my life I've ever repented and believed the gospel. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not because you came to church. 
Not because of a denominational tag. Not because you put money in an orphan plate. Not because you sang the songs. No, the Bible says when you trust Jesus Christ, whom to know is life eternal, that you can be forgiven and set free. You can know for sure that heaven's your home. That Christ is your Savior. And that you can have a transformed life because of the power of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. Would there be somebody here today, just one, just two, anybody, you would slip up your hand and say, Pastor Greg, I want you to pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I don't know heaven's my home, but I know I don't want to go to hell. I know I don't want to die in my sin. I don't need religion. I need Jesus. And I'm concerned about that today, and I want you to pray for me. I need Jesus today. I need to be born again. I need to be saved. If that's you right now, sir, if that's you, ma'am, young person, wherever you are, just for a moment, quickly, quietly, silently but sincerely, would you slip your hand up high enough so I can see it? I want you to raise it right now. Just be brave enough. Slip your hand up. God bless you right there to my right. Thank you. God bless you there to the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up. Thank you right there. Thank you right here. Down front. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Slip your hand up. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm born again. I'm not sure I've ever been saved. Here's what I want you to do. Thank you right there in the middle. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you right here on the end. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I want you to do. Look, I don't have a magic prayer. A prayer didn't die for you, but a person named Jesus did. But I do want to help you have a conversation with God. Because the one thing God wants to hear from your heart is the cry of repentance. Lord Jesus, save me. That's what he wants to hear. He loves to hear that. He will in no wise tell you no and cast you out. He'll accept you just as you are and change your life. And right where you are, sir, right where you are, ma'am, young person, bowed before the Lord, can I help you just talk to the Father? Just between you and God, I want you to say something like this. Dear Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I know for my sin I deserve hell. But I believe Jesus died for me to take away my sin. And I ask you to forgive me of my rebellion and disobedience. And today, Lord Jesus, the best I know how, I trust you and you alone to be my Savior. Cleanse me. Make me a new creature change my life and give me faith to believe that you'll take me to your kingdom when I leave this world. As we're bowed before the Lord, can I ask you a question? How many of you would say, Pastor Locke, I meant that, I prayed that, I believe the Holy Spirit met me right where I am in this gravel in one of these seats, and today I believe I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. My life's journey with God has begun today. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up high just for a moment so we can rejoice. If that's you, God bless your hands all. Rejoice, church. Rejoice. Isn't that a blessing? God bless you. God bless you. We'll make sure that we get you whatever you need, whatever you need in this journey. You let somebody know. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Again, for our folks that are going to be baptized, some are already beginning to slip over there. You take all the time you need to pray down here. I know many of you will be trying to get out because the, the crowded parking lot and all of that, but be safe out there. But my wife's going to pray, and we're just going to continue to, to dwell in the presence of the Lord. Ask God to continue to bless and move in a magnanimous way. And so, again, if you're going to be part of our baptismal celebration, you slip right over there. If you trusted Christ today, and maybe you weren't prepared, but you want to get baptized, because eventually you're going to have to, to follow the Lord. You slip over there today. We'll get you a towel. We'll get you dried off. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's message from God's Word. This podcast is a ministry of the Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. To find out how you can partner with this ministry or plan your visit to the Revival Tent, visit us online at globalvisionbc.com. There you can find links to all of the social medias. You can see what's happening on campus and learn everything you need to know about GVBC. We can't wait to see you there.